0: So we are in this sermon series on discipleship. In week one, we talked about how important it is to know that discipleship is worth it. It's something that Jesus talks about a lot. Uh, because it's true and because he needs to talk about it a lot, uh, we tend to forget how worth it it is. And when we forget how worth it it is to be a disciple of Jesus, we tend to drift away. We tend to feel futile. Uh, discipleship is effortful Growth. Discipleship requires that we grow constantly, and it requires that we make an effort constantly. It's a discipline. Effortful uh, growth. Um, It can be rugged going. So successful discipleship requires consistent reminders about the worthiness of the discipleship. Life, turn one to another and say, hey, it's worth it. A moderate amount of enthusiasm, but I thank you. And as I said earlier, the opposite of discipleship is not unbelief. The opposite of discipleship is not unbelief, because, you know, Satan believes, but he's no disciple. The opposite of discipleship is rebellion, big or small. Sometimes it's outright rebellion, but most often for us it's foot-dragging and reluctance. It's showing up late to church, metaphorically or literally speaking. Uh, In week number two of the series... Uh, we took a look at one thing that makes the life of discipleship worth it, a little thing called eternal life, which is, which is a fairly big deal, particularly eternal life with God. Uh, we explored how belief does not necessarily get you an eternal life with God. Exhibit A, again, Satan. He, he believes in Jesus. He knows more about Jesus probably uh, than we do. Uh, but there is a pit of destruction prepared for him, uh, discipleship is really uh, what makes us trustworthy, which is what gets us eternal life with God. You can't really imagine a greater reward than that. And so we have to think often, often about eternity maybe daily, about eternal life. If you can anchor your mind there, if it is in your thoughts constantly, then that really helps you walk the rugged life of discipleship. And today uh, our question is, what kind of earthly life do you want? What do you want life on earth to be like? We, don't, we want life in the next life to be with God. We know that. Uh, we want it to be glorious and purposeful uh, with him whatever he has in store, uh, we're up for. But what do you want your earthly life to be like? Um, And the answer, uh, depending on you, might well be you want a life of discipleship. But again, this is something that you need to think about often. What makes discipleship worth it today? Uh, Question number two, is your life abundant? What's your answer to that question? What's your response to that question? If I were to walk up to you, look you in the eyes with my disturbing glare, and say, is your life abundant? What would you say? Yes. How many would say, not so much? Come on. Yeah. Sometimes it it feels a a little uh, less than uh, abundant. What do I mean by abundant anyway? Uh, do you have the sort of life that, fle- that seems overflowing with stuff that is good? Clearly good. Now, a lot of us might feel that we have a life overflowing with stuff. It might be neutral, uh, cakey swap, or, you know, we might feel that our life is overflowing with stuff that is hard or maybe even bad. But I think abundant life, Jesus uses the term, right? We're going to get to that. means a life overflowing with stuff that is clearly good. How many of you feel like your life is overflowing with stuff that is clearly good? Might have some bad in it, your life. But it should be crowded with good things as well. Do you feel that? Uh, Jesus says that that's the life of discipleship. Uh, I assume that your life has some hardship in it. And if it does not have any hardship in it, I hate you. <laughs> I will repent of that later, but for now, don't talk to me about it. Um, but does your life also have an abundance of goodness, no matter what your level of hardship is? And that's the that's biblical sort of abundance. The sort of abundance that Jesus talks about is an abundance that manifests even if there's a lot of hardship around as well. It's a mysterious sort of abundance rooted spiritually. Or I might ask the question another way. Consider this. Does your life feel full and healthy? Does your life feel full and healthy? Um, The... uh, the ancient Jews, uh, the Old Testament and Jesus' day had a great word for that. Maybe you've heard it, shalom. The peace, the presence, the richness of God. It's like, uh, it's, it's sort of like the Hebrew form of aloha. You know, it just, it just means more than you can actually define. Uh, does your life feel full and healthy? Uh, because Jesus says that we can expect a life of discipleship to feel full and healthy. Uh, at least if we perceive clearly. And that might well make a life of discipleship worth it. Again, we're taking a look in the first several weeks of this sermon series on what makes discipleship worth it. Uh, I want to read John 10, uh, like 1 through 18 or so, just for kicks. Somebody handed me a King James Bible. I'm going to read it in the King James today because I'm that holy. Uh, But it will be up on the big board in the NIV Uh, for those of us who are not fluent in uh, King James' ease. Verily, verily, I say unto you. See, now this makes the King James worth it. Verily, verily. I think that's a word we should bring back. Verily. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Whoever does not enter by the gate. Into the sheep pen is a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, To him the porter openeth, the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Good sheep. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things uh, they were which he spake unto them. Just love that. I wish I had a British accent. This would sound better. Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the gate. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The only way in is through Jesus. But if you enter through Jesus, you can go both in and out. You will have freedom and you will find pasture. You will have provision as well. This is the promise that the Lord is making to his sheep. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill. The, the thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. As NIV says it, they might have life to the full. More accurate translation would be to the max. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Uh, But he that is a hireling, a hired hand, and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hired hand flees because he is a hired hand and careth not for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known by them. Um, I'll just stop there. So in describing his mission on earth, Jesus says, uh, I have come so that you may have life and that you may have it to the full or as the King James says, you might have it abundantly. Um, which is a, uh, a two-part sentence, right? I have come so that you may have life. kind That kind of feels like He's talking about eternal life there, that you might have life perpetually. You know, I've come so that you may have eternal life, but that you might have life to the full, to the max. You might have it abundantly. What does that mean? Well, if you're going to have life to the full, that means even now it should be as much as possible, right? Uh, So that at least uh, refers to earthly life. We should be having a full life, an abundant life, even while on earth. That's definitely something that would make discipleship worth it. Um, And he describes uh, a few times in this passage how uh, and what ways it would be worth it, although he's speaking very metaphorically, as Jesus often does. He says uh, that if if you enter by me, if I am the gate of your life, Uh, then you will be able to come in and out and you will find pasture. You will have freedom, right? You won't be penned in as if in jail. That's not what this sheepfold is about. No, you will come in and out. You will have freedom. You will neither be kept out nor will you be forced in. You You won't be kept from good pasture when you see it. You can take it. You will have freedom and you will have pasture. You will have provision. That's what it means uh, to uh, have Jesus as the door of your life. You following me so far? Um, and elsewhere, as we've already discussed in this sermon series and other passages, Jesus promises and describes not just eternal blessings, but earthly blessings for his followers. Not, not like financial riches and luxuries and such nonsense, but guaranteed provision. Um, and amazing community, and and fruitfulness or purposefulness in life, influence in life, realized purpose. These are the sorts of things that Jesus promises we will have on earth if we are his followers. We will have lasting impact if we are his disciples. Uh, Reading from Mark 10, 18 through 31, which is a, a passage that we read a few times, Uh, The disciples, having heard Jesus say some somber things, uh, become worried about their status, their rewards in the kingdom of heaven. And Peter speaks up and says to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields or jobs, in other words, or provisions, for me in the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. You know, if, if you have to walk away from friends, even if you have to uh, separate from your family, even if you have to give up lucrative jobs or careers or holdings, Jesus says, oh, you'll get a hundred times as much even in this life. Even in this life and in the age to come, eternal life, which is a capper, he adds, along with persecutions. So, and this life will be hard as well, but we know that, don't we? There will be hardships, but a hundredfold rewards. But many who are first will be last and last first. And otherwise, In other words, it might not always look terribly abundant, but if you think about it, it will be terribly abundant. In other passages uh, that many of you probably know, Jesus uh, promises that his disciples will have a harvest, that, that their life will produce a crop that is 30 or 60 or 100-fold what was sown. Imagine sowing a plot of land that was one acre by one acre, and it becomes 100 acres by 100 acres of harvest out of nowhere. That's what, that's what Jesus promises his disciples, which sounds, well, it sounds abundant, doesn't it? It sounds very full. Now, how many of you feel like you have a life like that? Oh, we are winnowing down a little bit, aren't we? <laughs> How many of you feel like you have a life that's in that direction somewhere? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're on, we're on the right track. Yeah. Even if it does feel like we're running in circles sometimes. Uh, we are finishing something. One of my uh, favorite little pithy statements from the Bible on this uh, comes from Paul's letter to Timothy, a second letter. The second chapter where Paul just reminds Timothy, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive the share of the crops. It's like, you know, following Jesus does not starve you out. Uh, following Jesus means that you always get your provision, even if most of your effort is for feeding others. The hardworking farmer always gets his or her provision uh, along the way. So, a life of discipleship is is full, according to Christ. It's full of what, though? It's full of, well, it's full of purpose. It's full of influence, harvest, crop, fruitfulness. You get to influence uh, people around you. Uh, it's full with community, right? You could leave your father, mother, brothers, sisters, coworkers, and receive a hundred times as many relationships if you are a disciple of Jesus. And it, it, it's, it's filled with virtue, I think. You know what I mean by virtue? Usually we use that word, uh, literally means something like, like, like power, but internal power. The stuff that flows out of you will be good, will be abundant, clearly good, if you are a follower of Jesus. He describes it uh, in one famous passage as streams of living water. Right? If you are a good disciple of Jesus, Stuff will flow out of you that somehow nourishes anyone who comes to you. You'll have that otherworldly ability. All oh, that sounds pretty good. This is what Jesus promises up us. And personally, I would be happy to trade, let's call it a normal worldly life, for that stuff. Be more than happy to make that trade. I would trade money for purpose any day of the week. Money doesn't really hold my attention very much, but purpose, a meaningful life. I'm riveted by that idea. I would happily, happily trade comfort for community. I really value community. I really value family where I find it and whatever I have to do to get a hundredfold family. I would happily do it. No problem. Um, I would happily uh, trade um, fame, fame. <laughs> for actual love, for peace, uh, for goodness, no problem. I'd make that trade any day uh, of the week. I mentioned that I'm just sort of riveted by the idea of purpose. I am a meaning junkie. I can't, I can't get enough of it, you know? I'm just compelled by this idea of having a meaningful life. Anybody else like that? Right? Frequently. I'm not even making this up. I will wake up in the middle of the night thinking uh, about uh, what I can do to make my life more meaningful. I I have an almost savage desire that my life be meaningful. Uh, I want uh, to be a good and lasting influence on the people around me and in the world. I want it to count that I have lived. I'm just... Just overcome uh, by by that desire. And, And more than that, I want the world to mean something. I don't want all of this just to be meaningless chaos. I want life itself to mean something. I want all of your lives to mean something. I want the lives of animals and trees to mean something. I want it to count. I don't even know exactly how that got into me. But... It is probably the driving impulse of my life. And I want my existence to contribute to the meaning of the world in some big way. I've never had uh, money or fame uh, to speak of, Uh, but I've spent a good deal of time around people who have quite a bit of money, and uh, people who have a considerable measure of fame and a lot of success. And, And I wouldn't want to be those people just on those terms. You know, not that I'm judging anybody, but I have had occasion uh, to relate to, let's say, that class of person, um, and, and, you know, God bless them, but they seem like normal people to me, uh, which means they, they often seem like stunted people to me, kind of shallow, well, meaningless is a word that I would use, you know, again, God love them, not judging anybody, but I think, yeah, that's not the kind of impact I want to have is, is what I have often felt. Um, persecutions, hardships, even disappointments and failures, I do not mind as long as I have purpose and goodness and influence, as long as the good stuff comes with it. And that's, that's me. That's kind of how I conceive uh, of abundant life. All right, given all that, I have to ask myself, well, is it true? Are Jesus' promises true? Is the life of discipleship abundant and I think that's a question that we have to ask ourselves. That's another way of saying, is it worth it, this life? Is it true that we get abundant life uh, for walking uh, this walk? Now, I think I have lived a life of discipleship. I might not be the best disciple in the whole world, but I've given it a good, honest effort for a lot of years, more years than most of you have been alive, I can say, because we are a pretty young church uh, half as many years as Nana has been alive, but, you know, a lot, a long while, in other words. Uh, and so, you know, if I were to give a personal testimony as to whether the Jesus life is, is abundant, um, if, if, if it's true, um, you know, I, I'd have to think about it first to tell you the truth because it depends on the day you catch me. If I'm having a grumpy day, I occasionally have a grumpy day, honey, amen, She plays innocent. Uh, But occasionally I have clear days, clear-headed days. Uh, These are some of the things that I would say about my life um, with honesty and conviction. I have never lacked food, shelter, or clothing. Um, Which might not sound like much to you because you're Americans, most of you. Um, But that's something. And if you know how I have lived my life, that statement would be more impressive to you. Uh, because I have often been without practical support in the normal ways. I have often lived in, a, in an extreme fashion uh, for Jesus, sort of being super generous or risky uh, with my financial or material life, and you know, I've never lacked food or shelter or clothing. My, my childhood was a little interesting, we were running around a little bit, we had some crazy times, we never lacked food, shelter or clothing, did we? It, sometimes it came to us in very creative ways. Um, but there's something. I, I would go further than that and say, I have never lacked enough money. You know, maybe the operative word there is enough. But I feel like I've never lacked enough money, which is, which is considerable, again, given the way that I have lived. I have never lacked purpose, which means in my life of following Jesus, even beginning when I was a, a, a young fellow, I never woke up in the morning and wondered how I might make an impact. I always knew. I always knew how to do it. Now, sometimes perhaps I failed to follow through and, you know, achieve the purpose that I was shooting for, but I never once lacked clarity of direction. Never once. You know, sometimes we beat ourselves up with that question. Well, what exactly does God want me to do with my life? Well, sure, you could talk about that. But I never was short on ideas. And I was never short on opportunities. Um, I have probably the majority of my adult life, I have had weird jobs. Like uh, right now I make my living as a leader of a church. That's weird. Uh, Normal people don't do that. Uh, I was an academic for a while, you know, sort of worked at universities and that's a, that's a weird life, academia is a strange dynamic, but occasionally I would have normal jobs, I worked in a television newsroom for a while, I've worked in, in restaurants and gas stations and, and I've done all sorts of different things. I have, to tell you the truth, always found it ridiculously easy to be a godly impact in any workplace I've ever been in. Because I get to spend eight hours a day with people. And never lacked purpose and influence, my testimony as a disciple of Jesus. I have never lacked family or friends. And I can't go into it now, but again, if you knew me personally and what my life has been like, that would be an impressive statement to you. (laughs) Laugh at me. Not because I'm not attractive as a friend, Asia. Uh, because, you know, I moved around a lot, and, and my family was, was uh, fractured in different ways. But, you know, I feel like I've been honied, if you know the Hawaiian word, uh, plenty of times. And, and even in places where you would think, oh, that guy will be lonely, because of discipleship, I have generated community. My testimony as a disciple. I, as a result, I've never lacked love. I have never, ever lacked people who love me. Sometimes I've been in dire circumstances of great threat, but always felt love uh, in that place. I have never lacked clarity. I have never once questioned what my life was about. I have often questioned how in the world this situation might work out, but I have never questioned what my life is about, not once in my entire history of walking with Jesus. Uh, I have experienced, I would say honestly, some fruitfulness. I don't feel like I have that 100-fold fruitfulness or 60-fold fruitfulness. Uh, But I can look back at the trail of my discipleship and see fruitfulness. I might not get, you know, like 100 square acres of of harvest. But I see some fairly good garden plots. Um, You know, some churches that have been planted. Uh, because I chose to walk as a disciple, including one called Blue Water Mission. Don't judge me on this church, okay? But there is some fruitfulness here, some people coming to the Lord, some people deepening in, in their discipleship. You know, I, I, I'm frustrated that I don't have more fruitfulness in life, but if I were to be honest with you, I, I have always had influence on people in a good way. I went back to my uh, 30th high school reunion recently. Everybody gasped. No, you can't possibly be that old. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, you know, it's kind of it's, it's fun, and uh, I had never been to a high school reunion uh, before, but it was cool to have people walk up to me who I kind of marginally remembered and saying, I just want you to know I'm following the Lord now, and, uh, you know, truth is you were a big factor in that. You know, this is what you did for me in high school. I was like, I did? (laughs) Um, Streams of living water. It just sort of flows out of you. I'm not particularly good at, uh, you know, evangelism or one-on-one relationships of any sort. Let's just be frank. Um, But I think because I followed Jesus, I managed to have some influence on people. Even influence that surprises me. I have often lacked joy. Uh, I think that's comment on me because uh, I have uh, a great history of, of depression. Uh, but if I were to be very specific about it, I'd say that I have often lacked joy because I have felt like I lacked success. Um, and I felt like I've lacked success in large part because my life has frequently been filled with heartbreak and disappointment and frustration, which I feel I've, got, I've gotten more than my fair share of, which might also be part of the discipleship life uh, because I've, as a disciple, I've always tried very, very hard at things and lived, you know, life 100%. Uh, and that can be stormy and tumultuous, you know, when you were swinging for the fences, you strike out a lot. And I feel like that's happened to me. And to be perfectly honest and human with you, it has often deeply affected me. And I think it has affected my, my joy level. Um, uh, and, and, and probably does to this day. You know, it's something that I still struggle with. Uh, which is why I constantly have to remind myself that discipleship is work it, worth it. Uh, but as another measure you know, setting joy aside for a moment, Uh, I can consider a number of other virtues in in my life. And I feel as if, as a disciple of Jesus, I have never lacked a supply of goodness within myself to give to other people. Following Jesus has made me a good guy. And here's how I know it's true. Constantly, throughout my life, um, people have come up to me and sought help unburdened themselves, you know, confessed things to me and said, I don't even know why I'm saying this to you. You know, stuff like that. I've constantly had that experience, people coming to me because they sense I am a font of blessing. Now, to put that in context, relationally speaking, I suck. I, I am not a relationally gifted man. Can I hear the amens? Thank you for that affirmation. Uh, but there's something spiritual. Uh, I've always been a safe harbor, harbor for people, which is interesting because there's nothing about my bearing and aspect that really makes anybody feel safe. Kind of cold and stony, aloof, not very expressive. We could go on and on. But you feel safe with me, don't you? And, and I, I just think that's the outwork of discipleship. The Goodness just flows. I I have never felt a shortage of that. I have never once felt I just want to screw somebody over. (laughs) So there's that. Um, Kindness as well I think flows from me naturally as a disciple. Uh, You know, again, you know, it's not not to brag because I don't. In a lot of ways, I know I don't come across uh, as as a kind person. Uh, But you know, I I don't want to hurt anyone. I can't. I can't, you know, I can't eat animals. I can't kill them. My grandmother teases me all the time. I catch flies and release them. I have, I have a uh, relocation program for insects at my house. You know, it is said of Jesus, uh, a smoldering wick he will not snuff. I feel like he's given that to me uh, because I've been a, a disciple of his. Compassion, forgiveness. I've never had trouble forgiving anyone which is a great virtue because if you, if you fail to forgive people, you get really messed up psychologically, emotionally. Now, I may be messed up psychologically and emotionally, but at least that's not why. <laughs> and all of those things, I, I think, just flow from me. Those virtues flow from me. And, and it, it sounds a little bit like streams of living water, doesn't it? You know, my personal struggle may be with joy, but love and goodness and kindness and compassion and forgiveness... I have an unnatural, uncanny ability to flow in those things. Discipleship, I think. Um, this abundant life, anyway, uh, whether, what are, whatever you think of my testimony, is promised again and again by Jesus. And if you don't feel like you have it, then what's wrong? Here are some possibilities. Uh, number one, your perception is off. You do have it, but you don't realize it. And I actually think this is a huge problem because we get, uh, you know, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and hundredfold returns on our harvests, along with persecutions, along with hardships. And a lot of times uh, the condition of our life is so mixed we get the good with the bad. It's tempting to focus on the bad and we miss the good. We feel like we are not rich because we are so troubled. But again, the spiritual abundance is we are rich in the midst of troubles And that's a certain sort of perspective. You have to get used to it. You have to pursue that sort of perspective as a discipline, right? Uh, Because we tend to accentuate the negative in life rather than accentuating the positive. That's me. Um, So your perception may be off. Take a moment, as I just did, you know, and go through your life. Oh, well, you know, I'm frustrated. I often lack joy. But let's think about this. Let's think about this. What do I have as a result? And that catalog can often be interesting. Uh, I did the exercise, um, and it was interesting to me. Uh, number two might be an issue of timing, uh, and I just think this is a reality uh, of life. You might have a lot of blessing coming to you, but you have not seen it yet. Jesus on the cross did not look terribly blessed. Three days later, coming out of the grave, awesomely blessed. There are seasons to life. Job, was he blessed? Well, it depends when you dropped in on the story. Uh, The fact is, he was a blessed man, a well-favored man, a man thought highly of by God the whole time. But man, he had a long season there that looked pretty depressing. Seasons are like that, and sometimes they last years at a time, in which case you have to take courage from the testimonies of others, from the promises of, of scriptures, you should at least see signs and deposits around you. Um, people often discount the signs and deposits of God, God's goodness because they're waiting for the big payoffs and they don't see the stipends. Does that analogy make sense to you? Yeah. Sometimes you have to wait on God. Waiting on God never means standing still. You know that, right? Waiting means hoping and believing and serving and working. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. You always have to be exercising your strength. But if you're waiting on God, rather rather than sitting back with your arms folded wondering where the blank God is, if you're waiting on the sure promises of God, You'll be fine. Uh, potential number three, uh, why your life does not seem particularly abundant. Um, your discipleship might be lame. And when I say your discipleship might be lame, you know I, I use that word uh, specifically. Your discipleship might be limping along, in, in other words. Um, the situation might be that the Lord has offered you Gateways, Jesus gateways, to purpose, influence, meaning, family. But you've dragged your feet. And you may have dragged your feet for a long time. Maybe you believe, but you're waiting around to be convinced. Uh, maybe you believe, but you just don't live a life of discipleship. You're, you live a life of, of cruising, of, you know, treading water. Um, I want to reiterate that Jesus encountered that problem, a little problem of foot-dragging, of many rebellions in people. He encountered that problem a lot in Scripture. And he did not correct the problem by shaming people or forcibly disciplining them. He corrected the problem by inspiring people, by preaching to them that discipleship, though effortful, is worth it. And so if your discipleship is lame... The solution is for you to realize how worth it discipleship is. You have to want that abundant life. You have to realize that it's worth it. You have to want eternity. You have to realize that it's worth, it. that's the key. It's not making yourself less lame. It's realizing there are a lot of good reasons to get up and run after it. And that usually does the trick. Um, one danger is that we believe but don't live like disciples and consequently don't see abundance in our lives and then somehow convince ourselves that discipleship isn't abundant. Well, you only know if discipleship isn't abundant if you try it really hard. You have to follow through on it. You have to live the life in order to judge the, the results. Um. And funny thing about the life of discipleship, I'll just say this parenthetically, that if you throw yourself into it, you become so eternally minded that the present results mean less and less. Your perspective gets longer and longer. The more serious you are about your discipleship, the more stamina you get, in other words. But that's just a comment for the long-term disciples, the experienced ones in the crowd. I think you'll probably know what I'm talking about but it's the halfway point that sucks, right? As Jesus said, the half-built tower. When you kind of start in a discipleship, but don't get serious about it, and then decide that discipleship sucks because you're never investing enough in it to make it count for abundance. You know what I mean? Maybe you're stuck halfway is what I'm saying. And if you're stuck halfway, just realize that you're stuck halfway and that there's more abundance for you. Tips. Celebrate fullness where you find it. That would be advice number one. Uh, You know, don't chase money if he's instead promised provision. Celebrate provision, not a huge 401k. Celebrate that God provided transportation for you this week, not that he gave you a new Lamborghini. Although if he gives you a new Lamborghini, you are my transportation for this week. I had a friend who uh, came to me, A good disciple who said, I'm failing in my career. His career was falling apart. I'm failing in my career. Why would God let that happen? Why would God let that happen? I quit discipleship. And, of course, the obvious response was, well, maybe God's not into your career. Uh, But that's a hard conversation to have. Jesus said, worry about nothing. Consider the sparrows, they neither sow nor reap. You know, the birds of the air don't sow nor reap the The sparrows, you buy two for a penny, but you're worth more to God than them. You know, your heavenly Father knows what you need. That's how that passage in the Sermon on the Mount goes. He will provide you your daily bread. Maybe not that CEO position, but he will always give you enough. Celebrate that. Uh, Don't chase security when he's promised community. They are very different things. I see this come up. people's discipleship often crashes on the reef when they don't get the spouse that they want. And when they don't get the spouse that they want, or the romance that they want even, uh, then they leave their whole community because clearly God is not providing relationally for them. Oh, come on. If If you have some romantic disappointment, that's when you need your community. A lot of you are looking at me funny, but romance, in my experience as a shepherd, has been the number one killer of discipleship. Because people just can't get over the offense of disappointment where romance or marriage is concerned. Um, Jesus promises us 100 fathers, a 100 mothers, brothers and sisters, celebrate that. It's worth celebrating. Don't chase success when you're promised fruitfulness instead. Would you rather be influential or would you rather be successful? I'm playing with words here, but maybe you know what I mean. Your job is to influence people and to celebrate the transformation that you empower in their lives through Jesus. Uh, Your job is not to achieve some sort of status or recognized expertise or fame or something like that. Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men. He has a plan for you. He has a job for you. Even if you don't get the job that you want, Jesus has a job for you and it's filled with fruitfulness. And if you're experiencing any fruitfulness, celebrate that. Don't misapply the abundance principle. Um, There are some Christians who, when they get to a point in life, they feel like, well, this isn't fun anymore. This isn't joyful. This doesn't feel abundant. Therefore, it's not God's will for me. Oh, that's stupid. Uh, This life of discipleship is is often rugged. Um, Don't misapply the idea of abundance. You know, don't fall into prosperity gospel thinking. You know, God loves me, therefore he will make me rich. God loves me, he will make me famous. God loves me, he will give me exactly what I expect him to give me. Um, And if I don't feel that way, if I don't feel a lot of zing in this situation, obviously it's not from God. I don't think the cross had a lot of zing in it. And Jesus says pick up your cross daily, right? That's not how you measure it. By your feelings. You measure abundance by taking a step back and thinking, wow, look at this stuff. That's really interesting. But here's the good news. Uh, here's the good news added to the great news. There is abundance for you. Your earthy life with Jesus will be abundant, robust, satisfying. Not easy, and most of the payoff will be in the next life. But your earthly life will be rich and full nonetheless if you buy into discipleship. It will be all it should be. It will be all it needs to be. I promise you. I promise you that because Jesus promised you that. And that makes it worth it. That makes discipleship worth it. What do you think about that? Do you buy it? Do you buy it? So what do you need today Uh, is my question. Do you need to get serious? Need to kind of suck it up, bear down, and be a disciple? Not a disbeliever? A little repentance in order for you? Do you need inspiration? I did my best to inspire you with my personal testimony. How would I do? (laughs) At least you know I'm being very real about it, right? Maybe you need encouragement. I love these passages from, from the letters of Paul. We have so many letters from him. And one at the end of his life, he's writing his protege, Tim- Timothy. And uh, it's, it's, it's arguably uh, the last bit of the last letter that we have uh, from him, although arguments about exactly when he wrote it. Uh, but he's in prison. And, uh, and he may well die there. So he writes in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. Uh, for Demos, because he loved the world deserted me uh, Christians has gone to Dalatia and Titus to Dalmatia the other my other co-workers are gone only Luke is left with me evidently Luke was in great company I don't know uh, but get Mark and bring him uh, with you which is a significant statement because Mark and Paul had a falling out earlier in their lives because Mark is helpful to me in my ministry uh, when you come Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. I love these little personal statements, because here's Paul in prison without so much as a coat. Hey, Timothy, could, could you come visit me? Could you bring me a coat? And my tablet. Uh, remember that. Um, Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. I love it that Paul's not uh, above these little digs. You too should be on your guard against him, by the way. At my first defense, his defense in Roman court, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. Living waters. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength and so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. It's all cool. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Here's the great preacher kind of going off a little bit. To him be glory and glory forever. Amen. Hey, greet Priscilla and Achilla and the household of Onesiphorus. Say hi to my friends. I miss them. Erastus stayed in Corinth and I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Paul, the great healer and miracle worker, had to leave one of his friends behind on his journey because he couldn't cure him. It's just revelatory, it's so personal. Do your best, do your best to get here before winter. He ends with. It's just, it's just a passage that's dripping with well, what? Well, I think with a need for encouragement. Here is Paul, the greatest missionary ever in the history of the world. The guy who just reshaped a big chunk of the globe, and he's dying alone in prison without a coat, asking his young friend to come by for a visit. Was Paul's life abundant or not? Oh, his life was magnificent. There's never been another life quite like it. Paul is is my hero. We need one another to encourage sometimes, don't we? Maybe you need some encouragement today. You need a Timothy today, maybe. You've been slogging away, and you feel like, you know, frankly, it's a little hard to believe uh, that it's worth it. I don't know, wherever you are, do you need to repent and get serious? Do you need some inspiration? Or do you need some encouragement? If that's you, let's just do mass prayer time. Go ahead, stand up if you're one of those. I pray, Lord, for the spirit of truth and clarity uh, this morning. I pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, will remind us of what Jesus has taught. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will be our helper, that you will be our paraclete, not distant, but ever-present in times of trouble. I pray that you will be the God that doesn't just walk with us, uh, but lives inside of us. In the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters, my fellow disciples, be filled. Be filled. Be filled with streams of living water in Jesus' name. I think that's going to be a moment of power, so I'm just going to give it a a second to mature. In the name of Jesus, brothers and sisters, be filled with streams of living water. They will bubble up out of your belly, even now. we bless your work, Holy Spirit. Bubble up in Jesus' name. Streams of living water, the right inheritance and manifestation of the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Come on, Lord. We bless your work. We bless your work. Streams of living water, water in any desert. Flow, Lord. Flow, Holy Spirit. Flow, Holy Spirit. If you're one of those people who just needs to repent a little bit, hey, there's a floor under your feet, go ahead and kneel down. You gotta repent for many rebellions or foot dragging. If you need some inspiration, hey, open up your hands. Let the Lord reveal something to you. You need a, a revelation of clarity. How is this worth it again? Let the Lord speak and show. If you need encouragement, fold your hands and seek. The God of all comfort, in the midst of this fellowship, he'll manifest. I pray, Lord, for the abundant life that Jesus promised. Be merciful and gracious to us, your followers, Lord. Give us our harvest, and I pray that it would be 30, 60, and 100-fold. Be our leader, Jesus. We have entered by you, and we will follow you out and in and back again. Be our leader. Be close. Only give us our harvest, Lord, we pray humbly. Father, thank you for your, uh, your work in all of our lives. We are unfinished products, uh, but we are yours. Make us fishers of people. Make us sheep that know your voice. In Christ's name, everybody says, amen. Amen.